welcome to Softer Articles for Sleep. Today, we will be reading from the website of Shay Howe on the topic of the box model and how the box model works with HTML and CSS. Today, we're going to go a little bit deeper into CSS and HTML and look at exactly how elements are displayed on a page and how they are sized. In the process, we will discuss what is known as the box model and how it works with HTML and CSS. We're going to look at a few new CSS properties as well. Before we jump into the box model, it helps to understand how elements are displayed. In the previous podcast, we covered the differences between block level and inline level elements. To quickly recap, block level elements occupy any available width, regardless of their content, and begin on a new line. Inline level elements occupy only the width of their content and line up on the same line one after the other. Block level elements are generally used for larger pieces of content, such as headings and structural elements. Inline elements are generally used for smaller pieces of content, such as a few words selected to be bolded or italicized. Exactly how elements are displayed as block level elements, inline elements, or something else is determined by the display property. Every element has a default display property value. However, as with all other property values, that value may be overwritten. There are quite a few values for the display property, but the most common are block, inline, inline block, and none. We can change an element's display property by selecting that property within CSS and declaring a new display property value. The value of inline will make an element an inline level element. Things get interesting with the inline block value. Using this value will allow an element to behave as a block level element, accepting all box model properties, which we will cover soon. However, the element will be displayed in line with other elements, and it will not begin on a new line by default. One important distinction with inline block elements is that they're not always touching or displayed directly against each other. Usually a small space will exist between two inline block elements. This space though, perhaps annoying, is normal. We'll discuss why this space exists and how to remove it in the next lesson. Lastly, using a value of none will completely hide an element and render the page as if the element does not exist. Any element nested within this element will also be hidden. Knowing how elements are displayed and how to change their display is fairly important as the display of an element has implications on how the box model is rendered. 
As we discuss the box model, we'll be sure to look at these different implications and how they can affect the presentation of an element. So what is the box model? According to the box model concept, every element on the page is a rectangular box and may have width, height, padding, borders, and margins. That's worth repeating. Every element on a page is a rectangular box. Again, regardless of what shape they are presented in, every element on a page is a rectangular box. Every element on every page conforms to the box model, so it is incredibly important. Let's take a look at it along with a few new CSS properties to better understand what we are working with. Every element is a rectangular box, and there are several properties that determine the size of that box. The core of the box is defined by the width and height of an element, which may be determined by the display property, by the content of the element, or by specified width and height properties. Padding and then border expand the dimensions of the box outward from the element's width and height. Lastly, any margin we have specified will follow the border. Each part of the box model corresponds to a CSS property, width, height, padding, border, and margin. The box model is without question one of the more confusing parts of HTML and CSS. We set a width property, for example, of 400 pixels, but the actual width of our element might be 492 pixels. By default, the box model is additive. Thus, to determine the actual size of a box, we need to take into account padding, borders, and margin for all four sides of the box. Our width not only includes the width property value, but also the size of the left and right padding, left and right borders, and left and right margins. So far, these properties might not make a whole lot of sense, and that's all right. To clarify, let's take a close look at all of these properties, width, height, padding, border, and margin. Every element has default width and height. That width and height may be zero pixels, but browsers by default will render every element with size. Depending on how an element is displayed, the default width and height may be adequate. If an element is key to the layout of a page, it may require specified width and height property values. Width. The default width of an element depends on its display value. Block level elements have a default width of 100% consuming the entire horizontal space available. Inline and inline block elements expand and contract horizontally to accommodate their content. Inline level elements cannot have a fixed size, 
Thus, the width and height properties are only relevant to non-inline elements. Height. The default height of an element is determined by its content. An element will expand and contract vertically as necessary to accommodate its content. Please keep in mind that inline level elements will not accept the width and height properties or any values tied to them. Block and inline block elements, however, will. On to margin and padding. Depending on the element, browsers may apply default margins and padding to an element to help with legibility and clarity. We will generally see this with text-based elements. The default margin and padding for these elements may differ from browser to browser and element to element. CSS resets can be used to tone down all of these default values to zero. Doing so will allow us to work from the ground up and to specify our own values. Margin. The margin property allows us to set the amount of space that surrounds an element. Margins for an element fall outside any border and are completely transparent in color. Margins can be used to help position elements in a particular place on a page or to provide breathing room, keeping all other elements a safe distance away. One oddity with the margin property is that vertical margins, top and bottom, are not accepted by inline level elements. These vertical margins, however, are accepted by block level and inline block elements. Padding. The padding property is very similar to the margin property. However, it falls inside of an element's border. Should an element have a border, the padding property is used to provide spacing directly within an element. The padding property, unlike the margin property, works vertically on inline level elements. This vertical padding may blend into the line above or below the given element, but it will be displayed. Inline level elements are affected a bit differently than block and inline block elements when it comes to margins and paddings. Margins only work horizontally, left and right, on inline level elements. Padding works on all four sides of inline level elements. However, the vertical padding, the top and the bottom, may bleed into the lines above and below an element. Margins and padding work like normal for block and inline block elements. In CSS, there's more than one way to declare values for certain properties. We can use longhand, listing multiple properties and values one after the other, in which each value has its own property, or we can use shorthand, listing multiple values with one property. Not all properties have a shorthand alternative, so we must make sure we're using the correct property and value structure.
the margin and padding property come in both longhand and shorthand. When using the shorthand margin property to set the same value for all four sides of an element, we specify one value. To set unique values for all four sides of an element, specify those values in the order of top, right, bottom, left, moving clockwise. The margin and padding properties are completely transparent and do not accept any color values. Being transparent though, they show the background colors of relative elements. For margins, we see the background color of the parent element, and for padding, we see the background color of the element the padding is applied to. Borders. Borders fall between the padding and the margin, providing an outline around an element. The border property requires three values, width, style, and color. Shorthand values for the border property are stated in that order, width, style, and color. In longhand, these three values can be broken up into the border width, border style, and border color properties. These longhand properties are useful for changing or overriding a single border value. The width and color of borders can be defined using common CSS units of length and color. Borders can have different appearances. The most common style values are solid, double, dashed, dotted, and none, but there are several others to choose from. Individual border sides. As with the margin and padding properties, borders can be placed on one side of an element at a time if we'd like. Doing so requires new properties, border top, border right, border bottom, and border left. The values of these properties are the same as those of the border property alone, width, style, and color. If we want, we can make the border appear only on the bottom of an element by using the border bottom property. Additionally, styles for individual border sides may be controlled at an even finer level. For example, we can use border bottom width if we wish to only change the width of the bottom border. These highly specific longhand border properties include a series of hyphen separated words starting with the border base followed by the selected side, top, right, bottom, or left, and then width, style, or color, depending on the desired property. Border radius. While we're looking at borders and their different properties, we need to examine the border radius property, which enables us to round the corners of an element. The border radius property accepts length unit, including 
percentages and pixels that identify the radius by which the corners of an element are to be rounded. A single value will round all four corners of an element equally. Two values will round the top, left, slash bottom right, and the top right and the bottom left corners in that order. Four values will round out the top left, top right, bottom right, and left right corners in that order. When considering the orders in which multiple values are applied to the border radius property, as well as the margin and property and the padding properties, remember that they move in a clockwise fashion starting at the top left of an element. The border radius property may also be broken into longhand properties that allow us to change the radii of individual corners of an element. These longhand properties begin with border, continue with the corner's vertical location, top or bottom, and the corner's horizontal location, left or right, and then end with radius. For example, to change the top right corner radius of a div, the border dash top dash right dash radius property can be used. Now let us discuss box sizing. Until now, the box model has been an additive design. If you set the width of an element to 400 pixels and then add 20 pixels of padding and a border of 10 pixels on each side, the actual full width of the length would become 460 pixels, not 420 pixels. Remember, we need to add the width, padding, and border property values together to get the actual full width of an element. The box model may, however, be changed to support different calculations. CSS3 introduced the box sizing property which allows you to change exactly how the box model works and how an element's size is calculated. The property accepts three primary values, box content, padding box, and border box, each of which has a slightly different impact on how the box size is calculated. Let's talk about the box content. The box content value is the default value, leaving the box model as an additive design. If we don't use the box sizing property, this will be the default value for all elements. The size of an element begins with the width and height properties, and then any padding, border, or margin properties are added on from there. The padding box value alters the box model by including any padding property values within the width and height of an element. When using the padding box value, if any if an element has a width of 400 pixels and a padding of 20 pixels around every side, the actual width will remain 400 pixels. 
as any padding value increases, the content size within an element shrinks proportionately. If we add a border or margin, those values will be added to the width or height properties to calculate the full box size. For example, if we add a border of 10 pixels and a padding of 20 pixels around every side of the element with a width of 400 pixels, the actual full length will become 420 pixels. Just as a note, as the CSS specifications have evolved, the padding box value for the box sizing property has been deprecated and should not be used. Lastly, the border box value alters the box model so that any border or padding properties are included within the width and height of an element. When using the border box value, if an element has a width of 400 pixels and a padding of 20 pixels around every side and a border of 10 pixels around every side, the actual width will remain 400 pixels. If we add a margin, those values will need to be added to calculate the full box size. No matter what box sizing property is used, any margin values will need to be added to calculate the full size of the element. Generally speaking, the best box sizing value to use is border box. The border box value makes our math much, much easier. If we want an element to be 400 pixels wide, it is and remains 400 pixels wide no matter what padding or border values we add to it. Additionally, we, make, we can easily mix length values. Say we want our box to be 40% wide, add, adding a padding of 20 pixels and a border of 10 pixels around every side of an element isn't difficult and we can still guarantee that the actual width of our box will remain 40% despite using pixel values everywhere else. The only drawback to using the box sizing property is that as part of CSS3 specifications, it isn't supported in every browser. It especially lacks support in older browsers. Fortunately, this is becoming less and less relevant as new browsers are released. Chances are we're safe to use the box sizing property. But should we notice any issues, it's worth looking into which browsers those issues are occurring with. Most developers Developer tools. Most browsers have what are known as developer tools. These tools allow us to inspect an element on a page, see where the element lives within the HTML document, and see what CSS properties and values are being applied to it. Most of these tools also include a box model diagram to show the computed size of an element. To see the developer tools in Google Chrome, 
click view in the menu bar and navigate to developer and then developer tools. This loads a drawer at the bottom of the browser window that provides a handful of tools for inspecting our code. Clicking the magnifying glass at the bottom of this drawer enables us to hover over and then click on different elements on the page to review more information about them. After selecting an element, we'll see a handful of tabs on the right hand side of the elements panel within our developer tools. Selecting the computer tab will show us a breakdown of the box model for our selected element. Play around with the developer tools, be it in Google Chrome, Firefox, Safari, or other browsers. There is much to learn from looking at our code. I generally leave the developer tools open at all times when writing HTML and CSS, and I frequently inspect the code of other websites to see how they are built too. The box model is one of the most confusing parts of learning how to write HTML and CSS. It is also one of the most powerful parts of HTML and CSS. And once we have it mastered, most everything else, like positioning content, will come to us fairly easily. To recap, we talked about how different elements are displayed what the box model is and why it's important, how to change the size, including the height and width of elements, how to add margin, padding, and borders to elements, how to change the box size of elements and the effect this has on the box model. Thank you for listening.